it's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, and this is Monster Mondays, presented to you by Film Seizure. Now, we've reached the conclusion of this year's spooky Christopher Lee Dracula Movies Month here on Monster Mondays, and we close things out with Taste the Blood of Dracula. Now, Taste the Blood of Dracula was directed by Peter Sazdy, a Hungarian director who did a lot of English productions of classical series like Weathering Heights, starring Ian McShane. Now, he ultimately did receive decent enough praise for being able to keep the general atmosphere alive for this Dracula series. Most everyone agrees that this film is superior to the previous entry, and while sort of mixed, it does still carry a 67% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. An interesting fact about the script, written by Anthony Hines under the pseudonym John Elder, was that the movie was originally conceived without the Dracula character. Christopher Lee's increasing unease about reprising the role led Hines to consider the continuation of the series without him. And speaking of Lee, to wrap up a month about Christopher Lee playing Dracula, we really need to make sure we discuss the fact that the man had a music career, too. Lee sang on several soundtracks, including The Wicker Man, and he really only ever once appeared on screen while singing and dancing, and that was in the 1983 movie The Return of Captain Invincible. His song, Name Your Poison, was written by Richard O'Brien of Rocky Horror fame. Yet, he didn't just do show tunes. In fact, in the late 70s, he provided narration on an Italian disco song called Little Witch, and then later appeared as a character and narrator on a concept progressive rock album called The King of Elfland's Daughter by Bob Johnson and Peter Knight. However, it was heavy metal that Lee actually gravitated towards. He did a duet with Fabio Leone of the Italian power metal band Rhapsody of Fire, and he continued doing narration and backing vocals for the band in the 2000s. He would release a cover album called Revelations in 2007, and his first original album was released in 2010 and met with acclaim, and he continued mixing metal with operatic songs and various other tunes from musicals. He released a new single on his 90th birthday, as well as released an EP of songs to celebrate his 92nd birthday. The dude really loved hard, heavy metal. And remember what I said a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Lee was a badass. Now, this movie opens in the waning moments of the previous film. A businessman by the name of Weller, played by Roy Kinnear, who's actually best known as being Veruca Salt's father in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, as well as being featured as Algernon in the second Beatles film, Help, is tossed from a carriage for mentioning that he's come from the town that Dracula calls home. When he comes to... Uh, it's later in the evening, and he witnesses Dracula's demise from being impaled on that cross. He later discovers it was Dracula, which doesn't exactly ease his fears. And so off we go in, on this morbid tale of Dracula. We then meet the Hargoods. Alice, a comely lass, is reprimanded by her father, William. William's played by Jeffrey Keane, who appeared in several James Bond films, and uh, he reprimands her for smiling and flirting with Paul Paxton. And he really lays into her by calling her a harlot and all sorts of shitty things. Alice's mother, Martha, tries to ease the girl's frustration 
at her father, but the damage is kind of done between the two. What's most interesting is that William Hargood is quite good friends with Paul's father, Samuel Paxton. They meet with a third man by the name of Jonathan Secker, and they seem to be off to do some shitty business or something. In actuality, it looks like they're about to go hang out at brothels all night, and they disguise themselves as do-gooders and charitable men, but they are actually shitty, shitty rich guys. The young Lord Courtley arrives at the brothel and creates a huge fuss. He was disowned by his father for celebrating a black mass some years ago. Hargood and company take Courtley to dinner where he sizes them up to see how far they will go for more intense pleasures. He asks if they would be willing to go so far as to sell their souls to the devil. They go to Weller who has the cloak, the necklace, and the dried blood of Dracula, and with the relics, Courtly says that they can perform a ritual. At an abandoned church, Courtly has the men put the powdered blood into goblets, and he slices open his palm to drip blood into the goblets. Now, if you're curious who is tasting the blood of Dracula, well, it looks like it's going to be these weirdo guys. Courtly orders them to drink the blood from the goblets, but the old guys balk. Hargood tells Courtly that maybe he should drink and does so, which causes Courtly to fall on the ground and beg for help. So the trio of rich guys kick Courtly while he's down until he's dead, and they flee, leaving behind all the evidence of their adventurous night. Now, Hargood comes home a complete wreck. His wife asks what happened, but he refuses to tell her. In fact, he demands that she just say whenever asked that he was home that night. Back at the church, Courtley's body transforms into that of Dracula and he's reborn with some pretty bitchin' blood red eyes and not like his normal bloodshot eyes but like goopy red all over. He rises and proclaims that he will destroy those who killed his servant. And over the course of the following days, the three men are all haunted by what they saw and did. And they're all acting strangely and or drinking heavily. Hargood in particular is acting like a madman. He's drunk all the time and is treating Alice even worse than usual. Alice is due to go to a party with Paul, but old man Hargood forbids it. In fact, sends her to her room, but she sneaks out regardless with her love. When she returns home, her father is waiting for her and he starts to punish her by slapping her around but she escapes through the window. She runs right into Dracula, who doesn't have any problem taking control over her mind. When Hargood goes outside to finish beating her, Dracula has Alice kill Hargood with a shovel to the head. Now, after her father's funeral, Alice calls for her friend Lucy, which is also Paul's sister, and asks her to meet her later that night. Alice is beaming and excited to tell her where she's been and what's going on with her, when Lucy meets Alice, Alice then uh, takes her to like on this crazy carriage ride that scares the poor girl half to death, but makes Alice laugh like a drunken, insane person. <laughs> Alice then leads Lucy into the woods and to the church where Dracula awaits. Dracula bites Lucy and takes her as a bride and turns her into a vampire. She's found by Secker and her father, Paxton, 
who have gone to the church to see if Paxton's fears of it being Dracula who killed Hargood. Secker suggests driving a stake through Paxton's daughter's heart to free her from her curse. But just as Secker plans to carry out that exact plan, Paxton pulls a gun and shoots him. Paxton then stays behind to mourn for his daughter, but uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, he stays too long and the sun goes down. Just as Paxton works up the balls to stake his own daughter, she and Dracula awaken. Oh, and Alice is there too. The girls carry out Dracula's second round of, of revenge and they kill Paxton by staking him instead of him staking his daughter. Later, Secker returns home to write a note to give to Paul, but passes out from his wound. His son, who is Lucy's boyfriend, finds him, but Lucy beckons him to go outside. There, she bites him. Under her and Dracula's control, he ends up killing his father. Lucy, walking back to the church with the Count, is begging for his attention and adulation. Tired of this, Dracula ends up biting her throat out and draining her of all of her blood. Before Dracula can bite Alice as he intended, a rooster crows causing him to need to return to his coffin. Paul reads the letter with the instructions from Secker and heads to the church. On the way, he finds his sister's dead body. When Paul gets to the church, he places a cross on the door to bar Dracula's exit. Paul then redresses the church's altar and rids it of all the satanic stuff that Courtly had placed there to resurrect Dracula. As the sun sets, Dracula and Alice appear. Paul begins fighting Dracula with a cross, but Alice kind of takes it away from Paul. Dracula plans to leave the church, and Alice begs for his attention and wishes to leave with him, but he tells her to get lost, finally free from his control by just simply being told to, you know, hit the bricks. He starts to really kind of help Paul at that point. Dracula tries to escape the church, but when the church now suddenly resanctified, Dracula falls to the altar where he disintegrates. And Paul and Alice leave the church and immediately enter years and years of counseling before she can get over committing murder twice over. Now, let's get to my three things I like about Taste the Blood of Dracula. First up, this movie is absolutely lurid from the get-go. Hargood, Paxton, and Secker are dirty old men and just love getting with the hookers. However, they also are seekers of intense pleasures. And that's the kind of thing that you hear characters from like a Hellraiser movie say. People who just go around screwing hookers, playing with strippers who have snakes, putting extra stuff into their booze, and generally doing hedonistic things, including resurrecting Dracula. If the last movie kind of had a light in how it portrayed life in the town that the Monsignor lived in, this one is tawdry and kind of dirty. The characters at the brothel are interesting in their own right, too. You have Felix, who is a very effeminate dandy who wears rouge and lipstick. He's kind of the, um, the den mother, I guess, or the, or, the, or the madam at the brothel, if you will. Then Lord Courtley shows up and he's such an over-the-top hedonist, they don't even let him into the brothel. It's a neat departure of the curt and upper class that sets a much more mature tone than the previous film. Hell, when Lucy is bitten, she reacts with something nearing breathless titillation. Alice acts like a completely different girl under Dracula's power, indicating 
a change in her personality post loss of virginity. And speaking of Alice Hargood, played by Linda Hayden, is smoking hot. I mean, right out of the gate, she's seen or at least accused of flirting with the good looking and seemingly of good stock Paul. He, you know, looks kind of like Hugh Jackman. So, sure, I get it. Alice, you're into it, man. I get it. She's not afraid to show a little skin either. It's almost like with the coming of the 70s, Hammer was willing to let it rip a little bit more with teasing shots of Alice slipping on her nightgown over a naked body. Now, Hayden mostly made a career of herself in sex comedies in the 70s. And at the time that this movie came out, she was only 17. Uh, But in the same year, she was also in The Blood on Satan's Claw, her two most notable roles. However, she was in some other movies with notable actors like Vincent Price, David Niven, Elizabeth Taylor, Gregory Peck, Laurence Olivier, Shelley Winters, Peter Finch. But she stands out in a movie due to her beauty, and sure enough, she stands out in this film as a really likable, but also very easy-on-the-eyes leading girl. And on top of that, She's also kind of scary while under Dracula's control. She smiles after killing her own father. She wants nothing more than to win Dracula's trust and love. And it's creepy how quickly and easily she goes from sweet and innocent to borderline demonic in her evil little grins. Now, thirdly, this movie is a little bit better than the previous installment. That said, it uses a lot of the exact same ideas. You have a father figure played by a very headstrong, stuffy, and kind of stubborn, uh, established British character actor. The boyfriends of the leading ladies are both named Paul. Dracula demands revenge for someone doing him wrong. He picks on, uh, in particular, and attacks them through his daughter by taking control of her. He does that with both daughters of, the, of two of the men. And then he kills the father figure through his thrall. We have young lovers barred from seeing each other. We have young lovers who sneak through bedroom windows to see each other. It uses most of the elements from the film just two years prior to this one, but it's darker in pretty much every way. It makes for a very fascinating watch how they ratchet up that darkness. And this seems a lot like what my first like was for this movie, but this is actually a slightly different element. This is tone, not the thematic stuff that I pointed out a few minutes ago. This more, the more tawdry themes plays a role in the darker tone, but it makes for this tapestry of part vampire horror, part satanic terror, and part erotic thriller. Now, we've come to the conclusion of Christopher Lee Dracula movie, Spooky October Halloween Month, whatever I was calling it. We'll finish the other three Hammer films that featured Lee as the titular count, as well as talk about his reprisal of the role for a 1970 Jess Franco horror film that actually really closely follows Bram Stoker's original novel. But that's for another time. For now, this wraps up this week's Monster Mondays. Don't forget to check out new episodes of Film Seizure every Wednesday and a new installment of Monster Mondays each Monday on FilmSeizure.com as well as places where fine podcasts are found like SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Additionally, hop on over to Facebook and Twitter to follow us by just searching for Film Seizure. You can also check out new posts at my website, bmovieenema.com, each and every Friday. So until next week, stay spooky and happy Halloween.